What, you guys been coming around what? How long? year, two years? A full year, okay. I, I, I feel like, come on up here, come on up here. See what it feels like to stand behind the pulpit. Here you go. I want him to talk to you about his uh, small group experience. All right. Well, um, our small group experience has been actually really, really good. Uh, we're in the small group that Pastor does is the um, marriage group, and we're also in the Chester's group, which is, uh, what did you name it? What is normal? Okay. Um, uh, it's been beneficial to us is like, especially to me, is just as coming into here, we don't know anybody. We, we knew the Chesters and that was it. You know, we got to, I'm not the person to go up there, go up to someone like, Hey, how are you doing? You know, what's, what's, uh, what's up? What do you want to do? You know, anything like that. Um, but, uh, going to these groups, it's really nice to meet new people and to share life together you know, we're supposed to do life together. We have our family at home, and then we have our church family. And some of our church family, we don't know. We have no idea who they are. But we come to Sunday church and Wednesday church, you know, every week with these people, and we don't know who they are. And this small group, these small groups are a great way to make friends and just do life together. So that's been my experience. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. We love the Maturo family. They are awesome. And so, yeah, so that's a way that you, you might be saying, well, I'm not, I'm not really interested in that, but you, 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 would, you would enjoy it. Plus, we have food. That's awesome right there. So, uh, so you're going to hear about a few of the small groups in the next few weeks, but Brother Chester asked me to just take a moment. I'm going to show you a promo video for the next group I'm facilitating. That'll be the first and third Tuesday nights in the second quarter, which will be April, May, and June. So it's the first and third, no matter if there's five, month, five weeks or not, it's the first and third Tuesday nights at 6.30 at my home. And so we're going to just watch a quick promo video of that. Hey, man, do you know how to get to Hoffman Park?
12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You will be the, one of the groups that I will be facilitating, and then you'll hear about other ones coming up. Now, if you're here saying, I don't have a phone, I, I, my phone hasn't changed me, you are sadly, sadly wrong, because phones have changed all of us. But this is not going to be a group where we're just going to bash everyone with phones and we're supposed to go live in a mountain and never use technology. It's not going to be that. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly, because phones in some ways have made us a lot better. The goal of the group is to bring awareness about some of the positives and negatives and how it influences our relationships and even in the church and our ministries and things like that. And so we're going to look at that. So if you are like, I'm blissfully ignorant, I don't want to know what my problems are with the phone, just come. We're going to have, it's going to be through the lens of life. It's not just going to be like, you use a phone, you, how, we're, we're going to check weekly logs of how long you've been on your phone. We're not doing any of that. But we're going to look at this in, in, in culture, and so 12 ways your phone is changing you. That's just one of the groups. Praise God. So let's go to the book of Leviticus. Oh, man. After we lost an hour, Pastor, you're going to take us to Leviticus? Come on. But there are important truths in the Old Testament, and even in the Pentateuch, the law, the so I want to look at Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. It says, After that, Aaron raised his hands toward the people and blessed them. Then after presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering, he stepped down from the altar. Then Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle, and when they came back out, they blessed the people again. And the glory of God, of the Lord, appeared to the whole community. Fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and they fell face down on the ground. Today, I want to preach on this title before we leave. It is, what will you do when you leave this service? What will you do when you leave this service? Let's pray. Jesus. Thank you so much for everything we've already felt. Thank you for the testimonies. Thank you for the praise, the worship, the teaching. Lord, and we're going to end this service, Lord, with the word. I pray that you'd speak through me, God, that, that our hearts and minds can be receptive, Lord Jesus. No matter what we've had go on prior, what's going on after, Lord, that we would be present in this moment to receive what it is that you want to do, say, and accomplish. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So just a little background, because I think as many of us might be familiar with priests, but what is a priest? How did they become a priest? What was their role? And so leading up to our opening passage there in Leviticus, I want to tell you that in Leviticus, the first seven chapters, one through seven, the Israelite sacrificial procedures for the various kinds of offerings were prescribed. That's like Brother Graham said a few weeks ago, this is where your bread reading gets messed up sometimes, you know, because you're like, and then they came and here's the entrails and they had to do this and cut the head off and bleed and you couldn't grab and you're just like let's just start in proverbs okay but there's important truths here for these sacrifices to be implemented correctly they needed to be properly maintained and managed these instructions were given in depth in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. Now the second major section of the book of Leviticus is the institution of the priesthood. And so in Leviticus chapters 8 through 10, priests are ordained. So you have 1 through 7. Here's all of the, the, the details about the sacrifices, different types of sacrifices. Here's what you have to do with the sacrifice.
sacrifices. And now who's going to give those sacrifices? Who are going to be the people that institute this? Well, they're called high priests. And so in 8 through 10, you start to read about the ordination of priests. And even in our Pentecostal organization, I'm an ordained minister. There was a service for us. There was laying on of hands. We get that, some of that from way back here in this biblical basis. And so the entire sacrificial system, though, prefigures the person and work of Jesus Christ, who would not only tabernacle among them, but he would also become the great high priest in the Israelite priesthood. So the mediatory role, though, historically, just to understand this before we jump into this further, the mediatory role performed by a priest was a well-known occupation in the Middle East. The Hebrew word for priest was also used to reference Egyptian priests, Philistine priests, priests of Dagon, the false god, priests of Baal, priests of Chemosh, and priests of Baal and Asherah. So the same word is there. So the mediatory role of a priest in that day, it was... It was totally understandable. It was it, the concept who's of, of an intermediary who served a God would have been a familiar concept, but where Israel would be way different was their priest was called to a holy and sanctified life. That would have been unknown to the pagan religions of that day. It wasn't just somebody who was just offering some, something to a statue. God was calling the ordained priests in the Israelite priesthood to be consecrated themselves, to be committed. And so anytime, I will say this, that you lead people in a spiritual sense, there is always a higher level of expectation. So I just want you to know, if you're saying, man, I'd love to be a leader at Refuge Church, that we believe that Hey, we're not saying leaders are on a different level that you need to sit and praise and worship us and call us specific. We're not saying that. But what we are saying is when you go from worshiping and saying, I want to step up onto the platform to begin to lead others in worship, there is a higher standard that we have for someone who steps into that role. If you say, you know what, I'd love to facilitate one of those small groups. Well, Brother Chester will sit down and begin to talk to you about here are some of the things that we require. Here's what we're looking for. Why? Because you are facilitating a discussion that will impact the spiritual lives of the people sitting in your home. So we're not shy. We're not, we're not embarrassed about the fact that when you step into levels of leadership, when you're going to go downstairs and invest in the children in Sunday school, there are levels of expectation that we say, hey, if you're going to step into this role, you're leading our kids. You're impacting not only the present, but the future generation. And so we have a greater expectation for you in this role. And, and God demanded that the spiritual leaders do things in the exact ways that he told them. That's why we have several chapters that will spell out what, when, how, things that we usually just skip over because they're tedious. There's a reason God had those in his inspired word because he wanted us to understand when he has a plan, his plan is always detailed. That's why in this day and age when people say, you know what, I don't think God really minds. You know, if, if we're going to be baptized, baptized, just believe in whatever God you want. Call him whatever you want. You believe in a higher power. Just jump in the water. You might sprinkle it, immerse it, pour it on you. It doesn't really matter as long as we kind of believe in this higher power that is not what i see in scripture he, he i mean from noah's ark he says i want a boat this type of wood put three stories put the window here i want it this long this wide this high anytime god wants to save his people he always lays out a crystal clear plan so that's awesome today when we serve god we never have to worry like oh, i just wonder what his expectations are of me 
I wonder what he really wants of me. God will make it clear. And that's what he does, even, in a, in, even in, a, in a sacrificial system. He didn't just say sacrifice an animal and pour it on the mercy seat. He, for chapters and chapters and chapters, he tells you what type of animal to sacrifice, when, at what date, what they should look like, what they shouldn't look like. We don't do that anymore because Jesus became that sacrifice. But I want you to know that in every time period, there was a crystal clear plan that God had for his people. But in skipping sometimes the tedious parts of Leviticus, we miss that the 8th through 10th chapters alone, just in those three chapters, that Leviticus repeats this phrase 16 times in three chapters. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. 16 times in three chapters, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And so Moses doing it God's way, God also expected the new high priest Aaron, his sons, and every other high priest throughout time to also do it his way. The Israelite priesthood was made up of three groups of officiants, the high priest, ordinary priests, and the Levites. Knowing this, Aaron was anointed as the high priest of Israel, and his sons were priests and anointed with him as priests immediately after that. Take a look at this in Leviticus 8.10. Then Moses took the anointing oil. Again, we don't anoint with oil just because we think it's, you know, I think that you, it's good for your skin on your forehead. It's a biblical thing. And so and he took the anointing oil and he anointed the tabernacle, everything in it, making them holy. And so he sprinkled the oil on the altar seven times, anointing it and all its utensils, as well as the wash basin. It stand. He made it all holy. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him and made him ready for holy work, for his work, made him holy for his work. In verse 13, next Moses presented Aaron's sons. He clothed them in their tunics, tied their sashes around them, and put their special head coverings on them, just as the Lord commanded him. So again, this was not just, uh, you know, somebody might walk into a Pentecostal church. Well, you do things strange, you know, the way you worship, the way you dress. I want you to know that that was said of the Israelites here, too. That's strange. So they're wearing specific clothing and doing specific things and worshiping in specific ways. Hear me when I say that everything, everything that we do here, when we praise on the high sounding symbols, the stringed instruments, that we align with scripture as closely as we possibly can. This is not just tradition. This is not just, we don't just dress a certain way or worship a certain way or give in a certain manner just because we think, well, we, you know, our, our fathers of our organiza- organization got together and they wrote this manual. We have a manual for governing our organization, but that is not what, is ba- what, what these practices are based on. They're based on scripture. And so immediately after that, sacrificial offerings began and priests were ordained. And the rest of the eighth chapter describes this in depth. Their ordination was quite the experience. When I got ordained, I drove to St. Louis at our Missouri District Conference, and there was a service for us, and they prayed over us, and we went out for an amazing steak. Hallelujah. Their ordination lasted seven whole days. The holiness of Israel was related to a considerable, to a to such a degree that, that it was related to the faithfulness of the priests. Yet the priests, by the nature of their work and their close content, 
contact with the altar, were in a position where they could transgress the regulations established by God. Because when you're in that spiritual of a place, when, you're in, when, you're, when God has said, I have ordained you for my work to lead the people, to serve the people, they were in a place where if they chose to skip over, even when he sets up the tabernacle, he says, you put the, the, the first step was the altar of sacrifice, the next was the brazen laver. And it says you needed, the priest needed to walk at the brazen labor that they die not. And a verse or two later, it repeats the exact same thing. They needed to, to, to wash at the brazen labor that they die not. What do you think happens to the priest if they skip the brazen labor because they're in a rush? They die. God's word was crystal clear about what he desired. And so in this account, offerings were made for the priests and then for the people. And folks, this is where that's the background part. Now you can wake up if you've been sleeping. So now that's the background part. That's what gives us a little bit of history about what the priests were. I didn't want, I wanted you to understand that. And so then we read about this amazing, really, I'm going to say it, it was a church service that we opened up with in our opening passage. In Leviticus 9.22, it says, Aaron raised his hands toward the people and he blessed them. And after presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, he stepped from the altar and Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle and when they came out what did they do they blessed the people again I want to be blessed isn't it interesting we just launched into a series the blessed life do you know how to live a blessed life be in full obedience to God's word you will always be blessed if you align your lives in full, not partial, in full obedience to the word of God. And so they bless the people again in the glory of God. you got to imagine this. Don't just read this and like, oh, that's interesting. Put yourself in this position. You just had a seven-day ordination period. Sacrifices were given. Here you are, and you got Moses, your leader, and Aaron, and they're walking. They bless the whole group of people, walk in, and then all of a sudden they come out, and they bless the whole group of people again. And all of a sudden, Scripture says, the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. And fire blazed forth. Can you imagine this? Fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering. You want to wonder, you want to, you want to know where Elijah gets his idea on Mount Carmel to have a, a little standoff with false priests? He, he didn't just say, well, uh, randomly, I'm just going to go ahead and do it this way. He knew Old Testament. He knew Pentateuch. He knew the law of Moses. He knew something like this happened. He said, you know what? If God's on my side. I'm going to stand up against false gods. And I know if he did it one time, he can do it again. And so he, just like then, God's fire just, the sacrifice just gets consumed and the fat of the sacrifice gets consumed. And when the people saw this, could you imagine seeing this? You're getting blessed and all of a sudden there's a sacrifice and God's fire just, consumes the sacrifice what did that point to the fact that he accepted their sacrifice and so the people they see this and they shouted with joy we shout with joy right and they shouted with joy and they fell face down to the ground 
I think we, I think we do that. When we see the, the power and presence of God begin to operate, what do we do? We'll come to an altar. We'll put our face to the ground. We'll put our face on an altar. We'll begin to shout, oh God, thank you, Jesus. When we start to see healing and signs and wonders and miracles, these same things happen right here in this church. People begin to clap their hands and dance and jump and they'll lay their face down and they'll put their face in their hands. Why? Because, because they feel the presence of God enter the building. And so on this momentous occasion, the word blessed occurs twice in culmination of the inauguration of the priesthood. It was a blessed time. And it will always be a blessed time when we as a church will fully align. There's a difference between not aligning, partially aligning, and fully aligning in obedience to his scripture. And so when we fully align as a church, we will be blessed. And then Moses and Aaron enter the tabernacle and God shows up in a, in a mighty, in a big way. And so when he consumes that offering, it's his stamp of approval on their sacrifice. If you could imagine this setting. And so fire from the Lord consumes it. But it's interesting that fire is often employed as a symbol of God's presence throughout the Bible. But fire also is used to indicate judgment, is it not? In this setting, the fire of the Lord came down in an amazing way and God accepted their sacrifice. The people shouted with joy. They fell on their face. And it is significant. I find this very interesting. It is significant that this is the first time that joy is used in the Bible. In this context right here. When God's people align themselves in obedience... And God ordained ministers to lead and priests to be in charge in, of the sacrificial system. That God, he met and he consumed their sacrifice and people were filled with joy. First time in scripture. It sounds like they were apart. When you read this and you I mean, put it in our setting, they, it sounds like they were a part of one of the most amazing church services ever. People were worshiping, falling on their faces, approaching altars, and God was showing up. That's how a Pentecostal church service should be. Every time we get together, there should be people rejoicing, approaching altars, falling on their face, and God showing up in the building. That's what I pray for every single time we get together. And so here they are. The chapter ends with that. It's, it's just like, what a high point. I mean, they just, they, they just anointed these priests seven days, and God shows up. The people are blessed. God consumes the sacrifice. They're on their face. They're shouting for joy. Woo! And there you go. And the chapter ends with that. So I could, if I wanted to, end the message and say, so let's approach this altar today and allow God's presence to enter the sanctuary. And let's respond to him right now by shouting with a voice for triumph and, and, and putting our faces on the altar and allowing God to do what he desires. And we could end right there. But I don't want to end right there. Because it's not my message. Because as you know, that scripture was not written initially in chapters and lines and verses that was, 
that was organized that way at a later date. So the, the story continues in the very next chapter. It ends with joy and shouting and altar calling God showing up. But immediately after the ordination of the priests, right after one of the greatest church services of all time, right after one of their mountaintop experiences, God had just shown up in a mighty way. Their faces were in his presence. The future was bright. And Leviticus 10 starts with this. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he commanded. You can sit here today and say, I don't know, that seems foolish to me. Y'all make me, so you're telling me that that really matters, that well, the way I get baptized, that really matters. Are you telling me that that's a huge thing? Are you saying this? I'm not saying anything. I'm saying let's follow what God's word says. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. It doesn't matter what any other church in the whole city, country, or world is preaching. I am going to align myself with what thus saith the Lord. What does the Bible say? And so they, for some reason, they chose, you know, to disobey him. And so the way he writes, it says it was different than what he commanded. So we do not know what strange fire was offered, what the incense looked like. There are all kinds of hypotheses about this. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say. But what we do know based on Scripture is there was a way to do it. God commanded it. And based on that writing, they knew what to do. In verse 2, so they disobey in the fire of the Lord that just blazed a moment ago in blessing and consuming the offering, blazed from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. There's that word holiness. A lot of times we shy away from holiness. We think holiness is just a set of rules, but holiness is a matter of the heart that will make its way out in the way that we obey. Holiness is a way that is something that works from the inside, and honey, it does work to the outside. It goes from the inside out, and, the, and what that does is that reflects the way we live our lives in obedience. That's what that is. And it says, then Moses said, he said, this is what he was talking about when he's going to display his holiness. I will display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. Why? Because his boys just died. We don't know what the nature of the fire was, wrong kind of fire. We do know, though, that there were chapters and chapters and chapters given that God ordained. And he said, this is the way to do it. These are my expectations. But these two boys thought that they could be ordained by God. And just because I was ordained by God and I'm a man of God, I'm a minister of God, I can do it however I want to do it. Because now all of a sudden I'm on the same level playing field as God. There is never a time in your life or my life that we get to the point where we served so long, ministered so much, came to so many altars, led so many services, praised, sang so many times that we get to the place where we are on the level of Jesus Christ. What he says goes and that never changes. 
And so they left that and they decided to operate in disobedience. And folks, how many times do we come into his presence? How many times do we experience the amazing power of God? We see his mighty acts. We fall on our faces. We're filled with joy. We shout unto him. We have amazing services where tears stream down our cheeks, where the altars are full, where God can do anything. But then we turn and we leave that very service and return to a life of disobedience. I ask you preacher, I ask you Sunday school teacher, youth worker, praise singer, musician, small group facilitator, Bible study teacher, man or woman of God, what does your life look like when you're done singing a song, teaching a lesson, preaching a message? What are your hands allowed to touch? What are your eyes allowed to see? What apparel gets put on your body and color applied to your face? What places do you go? What type of worship goes on? when you are outside the building. We serve a holy God who is looking at a people and saying, I demand obedience. I laid out a plan, and even if you don't think that that's the right plan, even if you don't agree with my plan, I laid it out this way, and I put it here, and I explained it in depth in my word, and I demand obedience. He expects sacrifice just as we read, and many of us do sacrifice. I don't think I need to preach on sacrifice today. This church believes in sacrifice. But do you know that in another place, he says it is better to obey than to sacrifice. We have got to be a church that obeys everything in the word of God. Not just the plan of salvation, but he talked about holiness. Holiness is something that starts on the inside, and it works its way out as it reflects flex on the outside. We will never be a church that says just because the world accepts this and the world doesn't understand it, we should align with them. No, 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 no. I will not stop being a church that preaches and teaches and lives holiness. We've got to be a holy church. Be ye holy for I am holy, saith the Lord. That means not only in my, what my method of baptism is, but that is everything that I do see, wear, look at, listen to, every place that I go. And so you know what? I pray to God that if you have been partaking in some of these things, you should feel the holy conviction of the Holy Ghost that says there's some things not right in my life. I've let some things in that don't belong there, and I want to be forgiven. I want to align with, with the word of God. So today my question is not, it is not what will you do at this service. My question is not how will you respond at this altar call. Because that's the easy part. I know that times it's hard, especially if you're a guest and you've never approached an altar. You might feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. You might feel just a ball and chain locked to your ankle. That when you say, man, I'd love to go up there. I'd love to get baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, I'd love to walk up to that front. But I don't know. <laughs> you don't know what I've done. And, and, and I don't know. People might come around and pray with me. You forget all that. Lay it all aside. Get out of that. Get out of that pew. Make your way to this altar in just a few moments. Let God do a work in your life. 
But instead, my question is not what will you do today? What will you do at an altar? My question is what will you do when you leave this service? Priest Nadab, Nadab and Abihu die immediately after, immediately after, immediately after one of the greatest church services in the history of humankind. I have heard that in ministerial books that pastors say, oh, hey, Monday morning's coming. Why? Because when you're ministering on a pulpit and feeling what I'm feeling right now, what I'm feeling right now is powerful. Not powerful in myself because, oh, man, I got my stuff together. It's powerful because I am standing as, as a voice, as a mouthpiece of God Almighty. And God is flowing through me right now. I don't take that for granted. But a lot of ministers, they wake up on a Monday morning. And all of a sudden, that same feeling isn't happening. And I've heard about men and women of God who were preaching in a pulpit on Sunday and unfaithful on Monday. And if it can happen to David and Solomon and Samson, my God, it can happen to me. So I've got to make sure that every single day I'm in the word. I'm saying, God, help me again. Here's another sacrifice, Jesus. I don't live just for the pulpit, Lord. I live because I love you. I live because something inside me consumes me. It's the fire of the Lord. And I don't just want that when I'm in a pulpit or when I'm praise singing or when I'm teaching Sunday school. I don't want to walk out and think, you know what? Because God moved, because someone got the Holy Ghost, because the kids responded in my class, I'm allowed to walk in disobedience. Sometimes that anointing that we feel is one of the most deceptive things that we could ever feel because we think that when God flows through us, that's his stamp of approval on the way that we're living our lives. Honey, I just tell you sometimes that God will flow in spite of us, not because of us. Us. God will flow because he loves a big group of people and he wants to get his word in people's lives. And it's not always because, oh, I'm living right and I'm feeling the anointing, so I must be fine. Me and God, we're cool like that. We got, an, we got a deal like that. If you're not living in full and complete obedience, you are in a dangerous place. And I know there's not a lot of churches in America preaching uh, Nadab and Abihu on a Sunday morning, but I love you enough to tell you that I want to see God use your life. I want to see God do amazing things in your family. And Aaron lost his boys because something in that home said that God's demand for obedience could be up for debate. I want us, I want our kids to know, oh, no, 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 don't even ask about that. When our kids start saying, are we going to church today? There is a problem in your home. When our kids say, you know what, I just rented this rated R movie and we're going to watch it. You better look at your kids and say, hey, you done lost your mind. I, if you think that a rated R movie can roll up in this home, you have lost your mind. It's not just what about happens inside the service. Pastor Chad did a great job. He managed to get our young people floor seating at Youth Congress this year. <laughs> 40,000 people. 
will be gathered in one place with powerful services. The power of God is going to be there. Kids are going to be jumping up and down. There are going to be people laying on the floor. God's voice is going to come down. Does that sound familiar? It's going to be just like it was at the ordination of those priests. I guarantee you it will be something. When you, you have never experienced it when you look around and there are 40,000 young people all shouting and worshiping and crying and praying. It's one of the most amazing things you will ever see or experience in all of your life. But what will we do when we leave the stadium? What will we do when we walk out of the building and the 40,000 disperse back to churches that range anywhere from 10 all the way up to, to 5,000? What will we do? Oh, I wish I had a bigger church, a littler church. Then I could hide. Then I could be more accountable. No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with the size of the church. You should be able to serve God in 10 as a 1,000. It doesn't matter. Why? Because it's a heart issue. It's something that says, I long for you, Jesus. I want you, God. So my question is, what do we we do young people when we leave the stadium it's it's what happens when we leave the experiences section 10 had a ladies conference what do we do when we leave the camps the conferences and the service one can go to church and not be in church one can go to church and not be in church I don't always preach it this hard. Go back to last Sunday night. Tune in online. There was a really uplifting, encouraging message if you want to listen to that one. But every once in a while, I wish Aaron or Moses would have preached it a little harder before Nadab and Abihu got burnt up. Folks, I believe God is calling some people right now in this moment, in this service, at this pulpit, right now. He's calling some people to make up their mind. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Are you in or are you out? Are you here to tell someone you go to church to say, hey, look at my Twitter feed, look at my Facebook feed. I checked in at Refuge Church, Mom. I checked in at Refuge Church, honey. Look, I was in church. To feel good about yourself because you were raised that way to be in a church building on a Sunday morning? Or are you here because you are hungry for God? Because you want to know him. You want to grow. And you are willing to give up anything or anyone that would hinder you from growing with God. I say it all the time. If you can say, oh, I do this, I do that. That right there, I wouldn't do it. That right there, I'm not really, I'm not really. If, if there are things that are untouchable in your life to Jesus Christ, let it hear right now. Mayday, 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 alert, alert. There should be nothing in our lives that are untouchable, that's untouchable to Jesus. One of the clearest things this story speaks to me is the worship of God should never be characterized by carelessness. We, they began to sing and play and worship. We were in the presence of God Almighty. Let us never be careless, especially those of us who have a leadership role in this church. If you lead anybody at any time, oh, I'm just a Sunday school teacher. I only do it once or twice a month. You know what? I guarantee you that those young little eyes, when they look over and they see sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, they are looking to see how do they worship? How do they 
respond to the word of God? Do they come to an altar? Do they raise their hands? Do they clap? Do they sing along? Because you know what? They teach me. And so I want to see what they teach, what they taught me off of a manual in my class today speaks less to me than what they teach me at the end of a service when they approach an altar call. And so we got to say, what? What message am I speaking? What am I? Fire occurs from heaven 12 times in the Old Testament. And guess what? Six times in a beneficial way, six times in a judgmental way. Oh, God's not a God of judgment. God's a God of love. God's a God of love, and that's why we preach messages like this. Because in his love, he's saying, I'm asking you to please change. I'm asking you to release some things that are literally holding you down. Well, I, I know, but I've been baptized. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I've spoken in tongues in 1988. Bless God. There's more to it than that. Sanctification is a process that never stops. Holiness is something that you can't just check a box. Did that, did that, dress that way, live that way. Stop listening to this. Holiness is something that says, you know what? I want my life to begin to align with the, with the, the word of Jesus Christ. I want my life to begin to align with what it is that he wants from me. The very thing that can bless the world will also be the thing that will judge the world. And the difference between these two concepts is one thing. It is obedience. Obedience. And obedience is not always easy. True obedience is what separates those who go to church and those who are in church. One time Jesus was teaching, and I won't be much longer this morning. He was teaching on some things that weren't popular. Much of the crowd had left. They, 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 they went out. And those who were going to church decided to leave. And look what Jesus says in John 6. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And then Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked, are you going to leave? Church just ended. Many are going home and willing to walk away. And he says, what are you guys going to do? Because obviously the message I preached was a little bit harsh, a little bit hard. So a lot of people left. And he looks at his core and he says, are you leaving too? Do you know in all the years that we've taught the now what disciple, which will be a chance. You'll have a chance to sign up for the now what discipleship course. We have a class that's 12 weeks long on a, home, on a Bible study. Gives you core doctrinal truth. Then there's a 16-session series called Now What? A series on growing with God. It's the basics, lifestyle issues, church and family, and what people see. Four categories in those 16 lessons. We have never taught the whole Now What? series and not had someone leave the church. I wrote the thing. It's not in your face. It's not bashing. It's, a, it's, it's all just scripture. I wish that wasn't the case. But what happens is when we get into lifestyle issues and we see that God has some parameters set for the way we live our lives, the choices we make, the things we do and don't do, the things we participate in and avoid, not everybody takes kindly to that. So, we can water it down and say, well, let's just avoid that then because it's controversial in this day and age. 
And we relinquish something that God has given us in the way of anointing and power. Or we can say, I'm going to teach the truth in love and let God's spirit do an op- do a, do, operate and do a work. And at the end of the day, we're looking to make disciples, not a crowd. And so he says to his followers, he said, are you willing to pay the price of obedience? Most of the crowd is not willing to do it. When the message gets tough, when joy isn't as strong of an emotion as it used to be, when the preacher has finished speaking, the altar call wraps up, the crowd goes home. What will you do when you leave this service? I invite you to stand to your feet right now. And I end by posing this question. Are you in church or at church today? Nadab and Abihu, he didn't, didn't enter God's presence on God's terms. They entered on their own terms right after one of the most powerful church services ever. Which way will you live? Will you live on God's terms or will you live on yours? What is today to you? What will you do at this moment? That's the way most Sunday messages end. And I am making that appeal to approach an altar call. But much more important than anything you will do or any way you will respond at this altar in the next five minutes. More importantly, Nadab and Abihu, as far as we know, they were in that church service. They were at that altar call. The altar call by itself, the tears you shed, that doesn't save you all of a sudden just by coming to this altar. But it's saying the altar is where we make the decision that I will live my, the altar is where some things die. The altar is where flesh is laid on an altar and saying, I won't let some things live in my life that have been alive for too long. I want some things in my flesh to die. And then we get up from that altar and we walk away saying, I will live in complete and total obedience. There is no part of my life that is off limits to Jesus Christ. God has definitely laid a challenge before us today. Some have already left. Like Jesus, I look around and I say, are you going to leave too? Or are you going to say, you know what? That might hurt a little. I might have felt the prick in my heart a little. But I'm not going to respond in anger. I'm not going to respond and leave. I'm going to respond and say, God, thank you for loving me enough to speak to me this morning. Thank you for challenging me because I'll tell you what I'm going to do when I leave this service. I'm going to dedicate and consecrate my life today more than I ever have any other time in my life. I'm ready to make some decisions right now, God, in consecration that say, Jesus, I want my life to align with your word more than it ever has before. 
God, I want the things that I do and say and wear and places I go and things I watch. I want to align with you more than I ever have aligned before. I pray, oh God, help me, Jesus. Some things might need to die on an altar today. Some flesh might need to be put on an altar and say, you know what? I've been, I've been going to church for too long. I'm ready to be in church. I don't want to just go to church. I want to be in church. I want to be what you want me to be, Jesus. Oh, God, I don't want to just say, oh, that was an awesome service. I, I want to be able to say, not only was that an awesome service, but it's a word that will stick in my life. It's a word that I will take, and I'll tell you what I will be after this service. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be consecrated. Jesus, help us, help us, help us, Lord.